Parkland sees over 1 million transactions per day across 25 different countries. It's a lot of communities that Parkland is embedded in. Moving into a neighborhood and setting up shop is one thing. Improving the neighborhood is another. Aiming to do the latter, Parkland seeks to energize and give back to the communities that support the company. Community enrichment can come in many forms, and Parkland understands that no impact is too small. Whether it's simply fueling your drive to work, staving off hunger during a long trip, or something as extreme as ensuring that the victims of a natural disaster have access to food, water, and energy, Parkland aims to aid their communities in any way possible. Welcome to Powering Journeys. I'm your host, Tara Overholt. With me today is Deborah Edward, who has seen firsthand the impact Parkland has made in her community of St. Lucia within the Caribbean, and from day-to-day improvements to the relief Parkland provided during the devastating station of hurricanes Irma and Maria. You know, you are well known within the Parkland community as well as in your community. Maybe you can just tell us about your role at Parkland. So I am Deborah Edward. I am in the beautiful sunny island of St. Lucia. I am the general manager for St. Lucia and Dominica responsible for overseeing the operations of four of our key terminals. I lead through a really amazing team, 42 in St. Lucia and 17 in Dominica. So what has working for Parkland and being a part of that business meant to you and to the Caribbean? I joined, I have just about 17 years experience in this industry. I came in with, uh, previously with Saul, Um, So I can speak from both angles, from being a sole employee and now uh, being what I like to say, a Parklander. Um, For me, the transition from Seoul to Parkland has been truly amazing. Um, One of the key things I see as difference with Seoul and Parkland is that spirit and ethos of corporate social responsibility. What did you see when there was a bit of a change? And what do you see Parkland doing maybe on the ground uh, in the community? A few years ago, I remember reading um, this book where the writer was saying that if you want people to um, be involved in a change, the change needs to matter to them. And that's the writer, Julius Nyerere, who said so. And I think that is the wonderful thing about the Parkland Pledge, that the employees get to select organizations, institutions, causes that are near and dear to them. So can you tell me a little bit more about the pledge program and what it means and and how people get involved? If I use St. Lucia as, as, as our example, the Cancer Society was the association that many of our employees selected because many of them, whether it is through their parents, a sibling, um, a member of the extended family had died of cancer. So pledging the, these dollars to the Cancer Society, whether it is for persons who needed treatment, was the employees way of saying, this association is near and dear to me. So I am given this money that Parkland has given us to this association. So you can choose. You can say, my $500 goes towards the Cancer Society, and this is why I'm choosing it. So every employee across Parkland gets to participate in this wonderful initiative to say, 
I am choosing this organization to pledge money to because it matters to me, because it impacts my family, it impacts my community. It sounds like a really great way to connect with your community and to know what's going on. Has there been a good uptake in the Caribbean with the pledge program? So yes, throughout the Caribbean, many of the islands, we really had a push to get our employees to pledge um, the Parkland Dollars to organizations. The two markets that I lead, St. Lucia and Dominica, we had a 100% pledge. And I'm really proud to say that our employees took up the task, took up the mantle to give back to the to the communities. I think this year, the overall uptake is going to be higher than 80%. That's what we are targeting to ensure that we really utilize these Parkland Dollars for the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and those people who really do need the help. Now, I've heard that you are quite the player in the community as well. And you have your own programs that you, you know, really get behind. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're involved in your community? I have a pretty interesting story. Um, So I was an abandoned child. I was raised by my dad um, after my mom left. Um, My siblings and I, we were raised in a single parent home um, by a dad who didn't have much to give us. So I, I grew up in almost abject poverty. Um, But my dad always told us that the way out of poverty is through education. So I spent a lot of my early days um, driving at the back of my dad's car, reading books. Um, And I was raised really by a community. When they say it takes a community to raise a child, I'm really the product of a community that really believed in me. Um, people who gave my father, whether it was books for me to go to school or uniforms to go to school. And as I grew older, I came to appreciate that, but for the goodness of many people pouring into me, I wouldn't be here. A few of my friends, we got together and started doing, taking this idea, which was in my head, and putting it on paper to create a foundation called GIRLS. The acronym means Growing in Real Life Situations. The reality is in the Caribbean, many young girls have to make hard decisions. Sometimes young girls get pregnant early and they have to drop out of school because they have to take care of that baby. So the the idea behind the foundation is to allow girls who for one reason or the other, whether it is their socioeconomic status, whether they are unable to complete their high school education to pair them with career professionals in an area that can help them. So if, for example, your skill sets is mathematics to help this young girl by tutoring just two hours a month to help her to complete her high school certificate. Um, I have to tell you, I am immensely proud of this organization that I work for because they immediately bought into the idea of how important it is to help marginalized groups, to help the groups that people forget about. And my organization, Parkland, has been really a huge thrust for me and given me that voice that allows me to build on the work through this foundation and to really create impact and to really be able to change lives of young girls in my community. Earlier this year, we had an event called Beauties and Brunch. And I did not see this event being so successful. Uh, The idea behind Beauties and Brunch is to allow 
young girls to be out with their moms and to just sit and have a conversation, have a conversation about the world they're in, the world they're going into. The event was 100% sponsored by Parkland. Um, everything was paid by my organization. I have to really thank Darren, who jumped with the idea. And listen, it was a phenomenal success. Next year, we hope to do it on a bigger scale because we have assisted so many young girls in the past. But the plan is to ensure for this academic year that we will mentor 20 young girls, um, pair them with career professionals to help them with their tutoring. And hopefully, we think that in the next five years, that girls will be able to touch over 500 young women in our society. I think that's really great because you're learning from the future and just creating that wonderful foundation and relationship with the people who are going to to make your community thrive. And that's exciting uh, all around for everyone involved. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what St. Lucia and the Caribbean has been through in the last couple of years. I know there have been a couple of hurricanes that have ripped through in 2017 and been devastating to the, the entire region. And I know that you were there during that time. Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw firsthand? Because I know that you were on the ground helping and responding. And, and can you take us there? Th that day was an absolutely horrible day. Um, I had just moved to Dominica to manage that business. I had been on the ground for just about eight months. And in less than 24 hours, what was supposed to be a Category 2 hurricane became a Category 5 hurricane. And I recall hearing 195 miles an hour. And although my mind heard 195, I don't think my body processed it. So I didn't know what to expect. Um, it, it was just the worst. It has been in recorded history the worst natural disaster to hit um, Dominica and the other Caribbean islands. I have an employee who I, I recall that day, the Sunday, and I recall them explaining the path of the hurricane. And as I listened, I realized that they called an area called Masque. And I instinctively said, this is where this employee of mine lives with his family. I called him and I said, listen, the hurricane is going to be in this area for some time. So I'm coming to get you. And he stayed with me with his family. The following day when we went outside, it, it literally looked like a bomb had dropped on the island. I mean, it was total and utter destruction. Cars were piled up, trees, logs, dead animals, dead people. And... We had to walk to go everywhere because the roads were, were damaged. Um, and I recall, you know, trying to get to the terminal. And that's one of the things about, I think that's one of the great things about my organization, about Parkland, that prepared me in some way. I, I don't know if you could ever be ready for that kind of disaster. But because of our huge thrust on safety, and a lot of the drills that we were doing around contingency planning, I think in some way I was ready to deliver the disaster. But as we were walking down to the terminal um, and just looking at the destruction around us, it, 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 I was numb for most of the time. And we, we walked to his house, where his house was, and there was nothing. And I think that decision for him to and his family to come to stay at my house to ride out the storm 
literally would have saved their lives. Um, so the, the days that followed, we fortuitously, we had just gotten a tanker that weekend. And we were the only company on island with product. And I think that's just how God works. So even in our even in our pain and our discomfort, we recognize that our mission is really energizing and powering journeys. And so it's almost like an out-of-body experience, putting your pain aside and realizing that your community needs you, realizing that there's no electricity. And the only thing that's going to power people's homes is generators, and generators need LPG. So we very quickly had to pull ourselves together, literally, to understand that we had a job to do. And we literally worked 16-hour um, shifts um, post-Hurricane Maria. So the first few days after the hurricane, we literally stayed at the terminal. The terminal was almost our comfort. But it was also the place where we recognized we were able to meet the needs of our community. I can tell you our organization was the first fuel company on island to be able to land and provide supplies. And let me tell you, if someone asked me what one word would explain that day when you know, our supplies and our relief arrived, I would say hope. Because I saw on the face of the Dominican community hope. I saw on the face of everyone that despite the tragedy that had befallen us, here is this company coming in, providing relief, providing supplies. And literally, we had boots on the ground taking supplies to to the community. I just want to say kudos to you and and my heart goes out to you when you describe what you were seeing and walking around with people and and you you yourself your home was filled with rain and yet you still found a purpose and you still found it with the the strength within yourself to to help others at a time when you yourself needed help that takes so much courage and it's so wonderful to hear just how everyone came together and used the resources that they had available to them to help others and such a such a strength that really takes a lot of strength to to move through something like that why do you think or maybe you know why was parkland able to get you know, supplies in there as, as quick as they were and, and ready for, for use. I knew that my organization cares about its team members. And that's, I think, the reason why we were able to be the first fuel company on, on the ground, because this company cares about people. And if our people, in some way, in a crisis, and if our people, in some way, in devastation, I know that our organization would turn up. Deborah, you have a really inspiring story and I'm so lucky to hear about it. And I think the work that you do in your community and I bet you really inspire a lot of people and probably inspired some people today. What would you say to people who want to get involved and maybe to other Parkland employees about giving back to their community and, and what it means and what they can do? So I think with, in everything, you, I, I try to lead from a place of gratitude I try to lead from knowing that I am who I am and where I am because many people assisted me. 
So my advice to our fellow Parklanders or anyone who'd stumble across this podcast is don't think, just do. It takes just a pebble to have a tsunami of effect of change. And if you think about something long enough, often you're going, going to take no action. So my advice is drop that pebble and watch the ripple effects take hold and create real change in your organization and in your community. Well, I think you are making, uh, you're dropping more than one pebble. I think you've dropped quite a few, actually, Deborah, in, in your community and, and across the Caribbean. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and joining us on this podcast. I really appreciate it, Deborah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah, And thank you to everyone listening. I'm Tara Overholt, your host for Powering Journeys. If you want to learn more, head to parkland.ca or check them out on social media. Music.